passage today is found in the familiar book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Let me read it to you. It said, In the circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation, the word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. I don't know if you know it or not, but we're in conflict right now over the Middle East. We have some of our troops that are right now in that conflict, and as you watch a lot of the, the media coverage of, of that conflict, and as we have in the years past, in the several years of conflict that we've watched uh, on our television sets as it's being reported, as it happens uh, there, we have a tendency, I think, to look at that and, and think what I often think when I'm sitting in my, you know, my I don't have a recliner, but maybe on my couch and I'm watching that. And uh, I think, you know, thank you, Lord, that I don't live in a place like that. Have you ever thought that? I am so thankful I don't live in the Middle East right now. I cannot imagine what it is like to live in a country, uh, in a region where there is that much conflict that is going on. I mean, as you, as you think about the possibility of your living there, I, I can't imagine what it's like to, to be a father and, and, and a, a mother and to have children or a family and you're hunkered down in a, what you think is a safe place. And, and, and in, the, in the middle of the night, you hear... Uh, you know, gunshots, you hear um, uh, bombs going off, you hear explosions, you hear maybe, you know, artillery or, or maybe some sort of heavy machinery going by your house and, 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 and you're being awakened and, and you're being robbed of your sleep by all of these very familiar noises. And they must be at some point so overwhelming that it's got to be hard to sleep. And then you wake up in the morning and you begin to scurry about and begin to investigate what it what casualties have happened and and we've seen the dead bodies laying in the streets and the devastation in the in the buildings of of these small towns and i i just can't imagine what it's like living in a place like that i, I know you can't either i'm so grateful that we live in the united states of america i don't care how bad it gets yet it's not gotten that bad you know what i'm saying and so it is, it is great to live here. But as I watch what goes on in the comfort of my own, own home and in the, the, the cushion of my couch, and I watch that going on, I am also reminded that while there is a war going on there, there is a war that's going on here. For we are in the midst of a battle right here in the United States of America. It may not be a physical battle, but it is a spiritual battle. And I think often we have a tendency to believe that, that, that we as Americans have been given this insatiable right that we live actually on a playground, but the reality is that we don't live on or in a playground. We live on and in a battlefield. We are on the battleground. And war is happening right now in this community. There's a battleground. Because there is a war that's going on. There's an enemy, not just sin, but an enemy called Satan who has a host of fallen demons who is engaged in what we learn in Ephesians chapter 6 is a spiritual warfare. He is a spiritual enemy. 
And because of that, there is a war that is going on right now. And the war that is going on right now primarily is the war for the souls of men and women, boys and girls who are lost without Christ. That's right. There is a battlefield. There is a battleground going on right now because Satan who has captured, who has enslaved these souls and robbing them of the eternal destiny that Christ came to give them is, is holding on to them with as much force and as much strength and as much effort as he possibly can. And he does not easily relinquish those without a fight, without a battle, without a war going on. And today we're going to learn that as we engage this enemy, we must engage the enemy with prayer. Because prayer is so essential that it is not a luxury, it is a command. And we're going to study how prayer is is actually, in fact, engaging in spiritual warfare against the spiritual enemy that is, that is relentless in his pursuit to hold on to those souls that he has captured and even to combat those of us who are seeking to pray and seeking to witness and seeking to go with a gospel that is the power of God under salvation to those who desperately need to receive it. Prayer warfare. I don't know if you know it or not, but if you're a Christian today, you've already signed up for God's team. You see, it's not an option. It's not an option whether you're going to engage in warfare or not. The moment you place your faith and trust in Christ and received him as your Savior and committed to him the leadership and the lordship of your life, you became a part of his team. You were signed on. You were established in the righteousness of Christ. You were equipped with spiritual armor. You were commanded by Christ to go. And and as you are being filled, led, and guided by the Holy Spirit, as a witness, you are taking the gospel, which is the power of God, unto salvation into a lost world that desperately needs this gospel that we possess. We're already in the fight. We're already on the battlefield. We're already on the battleground. We're already involved in the battle. Yet the reality is, I think, that most of us have a tendency to believe that the battle is for ourselves, but it's not, really, because once we place our faith and trust in Christ, that battle, that victory is already ours through faith in Christ. Now, granted, there are aspects of spiritual warfare that go on against the believer in Jesus Christ. And what he would like to do is he would would like to make each and every one of us what we might call wounded warriors. A wounded warrior. You know what a wounded warrior is in the spiritual battle? It's a believer. It's a Christian. It's someone who has signed on to God's team who has not seen the value nor the, the essential power of prayer in one's life and because of a lack of prayer they have engaged the enemy without this critical component in their war arsenal and they have become a casualty to the war rather than victorious in the fight against satan and because today you are prayerless because you are prayerless Most likely, you're a wounded warrior today, already in the battle against Satan as a Christian soldier of Christ with an arsenal of weaponry at your your disposition, but you're not really engaging, you're not really fighting as you should because you're wounded in the fact that you have forgotten the importance and the power of prayer in in your defense and on the attack when you face the enemy. 
But more importantly than that, we were not only given this incredible arsenal of of weaponry and this beautiful thing called prayer for our own benefit, we were given this incredible aspect of this arsenal called prayer for the benefit of others, not just ourselves, for the advancement of the kingdom so that others might come to faith in Christ. And I'm convinced that one of the main reasons why we're not seeing the revival that we need in this country and the reason why we're not seeing numerous souls saved across the churches in this city and this nation is primarily because of a lack of prayer. Oh, we are praying, but we're praying primarily for the wrong things. It really turned my stomach when I saw some so-called preachers, and they like to, and they are pastors and preachers, who, who, who said God won the election and prayer worked. Really? You think God's really all that concerned with about who's going to be our president and who's not? I don't think he is. You think he already knew who was going to be president before we even knew? Absolutely. Because he sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. And we were all worried, and we prayed, and now we see that, that who is elected has been, some say, God has been elected because of divine sovereignty of God. Well, what about the other half that was praying for their president to be elected, and they were not elected? So whose side was God on? What is God primarily concerned about? The presidency of the United States or the lostness of humanity? A concern that was so, so moving for him that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever might put their faith and trust in him, they could be saved from the damnation of their souls because of the grace that can only be found through faith in Christ. What is critical to the kingdom? What is of the priority and the preeminence of Christ in the aspect of prayer? I'm convinced that it's about and it's in regard to souls who are damned to hell because of their sin against God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through whom? Jesus Christ. The only way I'm convinced that we're going to unite with God in the building of his kingdom and see this incredible revolution of these redeeming lives that are going to be ushered into the kingdom is through prayer. It's not a gimmick, it's not a method, it's not a model, it is what concerns God's heart more than anything else. We've been talking for the last couple of Sundays about how the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 4, how primarily 10-1, he was so overwhelmed by the lostness of his countrymen that he prayed for their salvation relentlessly. It was of a matter of concern for the Apostle Paul because he knows that it was of a concern to the heart of God. Then we saw last Sunday in Romans 9, 1 through 5, that the Apostle Paul was so burdened by his countrymen not knowing Christ, not having received Christ, and being damned because of that, because of their sin, 
That he was willing himself to die on a cross so that they might be saved. Even though he knew that was not a possibility because there was only one man who could have done that. His name was Jesus. He knew that he did not qualify to do that, but he would be willing to give up his own salvation for them to be saved. And that was where his burden was. He was so burdened by them that he was willing to do whatever was necessary for them to come to faith in Christ. And we were challenged by that commitment. For that, in essence, was the commitment of Jesus, wasn't it? Who gave his all so that we might be saved. Today, I want us to take a look at this incredible passage in Ephesians 6. In one little small verse tucked in at the end of all this arsenal of weaponry that we've been given to clothe ourselves in this spiritual battle against the enemy called Satan and sin that is often overlooked and missed by most who study this passage as they seek to know how to engage the enemy and to be victorious over him, and it's in the area of prayer. So let's take a look at the passage very quickly. I want us to, uh, you're going to have to buckle up. Don't, don't panic. We have eight characteristics for prayer. Eight. Okay? So turn to your neighbor and say, he can talk faster than I can write, so let's buckle up and let's get with it. Okay? And it may sound like gibberish or, or some foreign tongue to you, but I am not that charismatic. I can speak Portuguese for you if you'd like for me to, but... In Ephesians chapter 6, we see this arsenal of weaponry that is available to us as believers as we are, as we are planted in the righteousness of Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and equipped with this spiritual armor. We are commanded by Christ to go into the world that hates us, despises us, treating us the way that they treated him, to engage an enemy that is relentless. But we are not powerless. And it begins to describe these beautiful, this beautiful arsenal that's been available to us. But now notice, tucked away at the end of it in verse 18, there are eight characteristics of what he calls prayer. Prayer is essential in the battle. You, believer, you, Christian soldier, if you don't become a prayer warrior, you will be a defeated warrior. And chances are most of us only pray if we pray around the table for a few seconds thanking God for the meal that he's provided. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's going to take more than that from us. And the Apostle Paul understands the importance and the essence, the validity, the value, the power that prayer has as we join God and engage the enemy, Satan and sin, and the world that we live in that is hostile toward him in order to see the victory that God wants to bring. It's not that our prayer changes God, or it's not that our prayer empowers God, it's that prayer is us joining God in his redemptive work of redeeming a lost humanity to the world in which we live, and it's the privilege that we have to, to join God in this beautiful effort of redemption. And prayer is warfare. And Satan does not want you to pray. I guarantee it. And he will give you every excuse, every reason. He will take up all of your time. He'll, he'll cause you to sleep through it or to sleep on it or whatever. He doesn't want us to be a praying people. He doesn't want Emmanuel to be a praying church. And there should be no greater task that we are involved in than prayer. Because without it, we don't stand a chance. 
Take a look at the eight characteristics for prayer warfare. Number one, we need to resolve to pray. That word praying or prayer is simply that. It means communication. It means communion. It means connection with God. It's an intimate communion, a connection with God in which we actually take the opportunity and take the time to connect with him on a personal level, recognizing our insufficiency and in humility, looking to him in his sufficiency and turning to him for the insufficiency that we don't have as the divine being that he is, who is sovereign, who is all-powerful. So, Lord, I cannot do this without you. I need you. Help me in this redeeming process that you've called me to become a part of through grace, found only through faith in Jesus. Praying, connection, communion, communication. It's a calling for God's assistance in what we are engaged in. But notice in this text, if you're not very careful, you'll miss this. It is a command, a command to pray. In other words, those of us who are Christian soldiers who have signed up because we placed our faith and trust in Christ, we have been clothed with the armor, the arsenal of spiritual warfare, and now we've been sent out. And he's saying, I am commanding you as you go that you are to pray. It is not an option for us whether or not we pray. It is a command that we pray. It's a command. Therefore, in order for us to be obedient to our Lord and Savior, if he is truly our Lord, then we are commanded to pray, and not to pray then is disobedient. And should then be confessed as a sin, repented of, and then we pray. When's the last time that you've confessed, Lord, I have not prayed. I have been disobedient. I have not yielded to the command to pray. I am sorry. Forgive me for not praying. I repent for my lack of prayer, and I now turn to you in obedience to your command, and I will now pray. And as long as we are not praying, we are being disobedient. Because it is not an option here. It is a command that we as soldiers of the cross and of Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God into salvation in, a, in an unredeeming world that is lost and desperate, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. And the only way we can be victorious is through prayer. And I think the reason why we're not is because we're, not, we're looking for other things to be the solution to our problem of filling this place. Concerts. Let's have concerts. Let's have this program. Let's have that program. Let's have this. I've heard that for nine and a half years. You know, if you just go back to those concerts, we can fill this place. If you just go back to the Rejoices Christmas, we could fill this place. Well, the most we had at Rejoices Christmas was maybe about 3,000 in three different times, but we never really filled this place. The only way I'm convinced that every seat is going to be filled with, filled with a soul is when we pray. And I'm not sure we're praying. We had 350 plus people maybe who have signed those cards. I wonder, are we really, really praying? That's what we talked about in the pastoral staff. People came down and fit out the card, but how quickly we forget But the only way I'm convinced that we're going to see God really move in a powerful way is through prayer. The only way your lost loved ones, family members, co-workers, neighbors are ever going to come to faith in Christ, it begins on our knees in prayer. Because only God 
can bring down the spiritual strongholds, open the spiritual blindness of their eyes, and stir a heart that is cold and hard against him. Only he and only he alone can do that. No persuasion on your part. No trickery on our part. No little gimmick on our part. No little program on our part is going to bring about the transformation that can only be done through the Spirit of God that is engaged through prayer. We must resolve to pray. Number two, we must then reserve the time to pray. Notice he says praying at all times. That word all means exactly that, all, A-L-O, every single time. The word time means occasion. It means period of time. So I ask you, when is it time to pray? When is it time to pray? All the time. It's time to pray all the time. Can you ever pray enough? Is there ever a time when prayer is not an option, when prayer is not important, where prayer is insignificant? It says here, praying at all times. We are to pray all the time. But most of the time, if we're honest, we'll say, Lord, I don't have time today to pray. And he says, Buddy, you don't have time not to pray. Well, God, I can handle this. I'm doing pretty good without you. And he says, no, you're not. That's a delusion. That's a perception based upon reality. And you open your eyes and recognize that you are weak, that you are insufficient, and that you lack without my help. There is nothing that we should not pray for. And most of us pray, honestly, let's be honest, we pray when we can't handle it, right? We can do it. We're Americans. We pull ourselves by our own bootstraps. Did we do that again? Chance? I think it was Chance. It didn't work out too well when he came and tried to pull himself by his own bootstraps. You can't do that. And yet we think, well, you know, this is, this is an insignificant thing. This is not really all that important to God. He has other things more important than this. You know, he, he's just... There is nothing that is too insignificant, nothing that is too unimportant for prayer. You can't handle anything without God. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? A frail, weak human being who is so full of himself that he thinks that he can manage and move things without God. That is insanity. It only results in disaster if not defeat. We need to reserve the time to pray. You need to start your morning with prayer. You need to end your day with prayer. You need to pray all the time, all aspects of the time in your day is time to pray. That doesn't mean you have to say, okay, everybody stop. I'm going to get on my face before God. You know, you, you can pray in your car and I wouldn't close both eyes. I would close maybe one. If you have to close an eye, close one, okay? Keep at least one open. I've seen some of you who are driving without eyes, and it's, 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 it's pretty angering, to be honest with you. Pray all the time. Resolve to pray. Reserve the time to pray. Thirdly, rely on the Spirit. Somebody said, well, I don't know how to pray. Yeah, I remember when I was a young pastor, my first pastor in Haslett, Texas, I had a, a really a cool deacon named David Day, and, 
And uh, he, he was an older gentleman. He operated a big crane, and he was just the most humbling, gracious, loving man, kind of a country guy in Texas, you know, talked with an accent much like my wife's. And um, uh, David Day was selected to be a deacon. Now, at First Baptist Church of Haslett, which that church doesn't exist anymore, by the way. It's a different name at a different location. So uh, First Baptist Haslett was a church that uh, elected deacons, and David Day was elected to be a deacon. He turned us down one year, and then the second year he was elected, turned us down the second year, and the third year, I found one. I said, David, why, why are you? He said, well, pastor, he said, isn't it the tradition for the deacon of the week to come up and pray in front of the church? I mean, back then, we only had like 150 people in the church, and it was packed out. It's a little bitty church. <laughs> he said, I just, I just don't know how to pray in front of people. And I said, Brother David, let me tell you something. All you got to do is rely upon the Lord, and he'll show you what to pray for. You're not talking to them. You're talking to him. So don't worry about what you say to them. Say what you say to him, and everything else is going to be okay. And I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't know how to pray because I don't pray because I don't know how to pray. It, it's, it's easy. It's just conversation with God. It's not these and thous, but it's about him and to him. Okay, well, I'm going to pray, so what do I pray for? How do I know what to pray for? Who's going to help me in that? Well, it says here that he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he says here, is the one who initiates prayer. How do you know when it's time to pray? The Holy Spirit will initiate in your soul, in your heart. This is a time to pray. He'll, time to pray. And if you're listening, if you're sensitive, he will initiate when it is time to pray. And when the Holy Spirit initiates when it's time to pray, your prayer should be, Holy Spirit, show me what I need to pray for, and he will instruct you what is necessary and what is needed to pray. It's that easy. Lord, I, I don't know when to pray. Holy Spirit will tell you. What do I pray for? He'll show you what to pray for. He'll give you insight. He'll give you eyes to see and, 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 a heart, and a mind to understand and a heart that's sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And he can tell you and show you when to pray and what to pray for. It is praying in the Spirit. This is not praying in tongues, but it is praying in the Spirit under the initiative and in the direction or the instruction of the Holy Spirit in union with God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you what to pray. Well, do I have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you do. If you're a born again Child of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, you've trusted him as your Savior. You were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, he's built a permanent residence in your heart, and he is there. Now, you don't need anybody to show you or tell you what to pray for. The Spirit can be your guide. I think also the Word of God helps us. Romans 8, 26 is a great verse. And it says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and shows us what we need to pray for. Number four, we need to rest in divine intervention. As we resolve to pray, reserve the time to pray, rely on the Spirit for prayer, we rest in divine intervention. Notice it says, in the Spirit with all prayer. We've already identified prayer, and he uses that word many times in this text. It's calling upon the divine authority and the divine intervention of God. But I think he sort of repeats himself simply and primarily because praying is our laying the burden, our laying the heaviness, our laying the petition, our laying the person, the circumstance, or the situation at the feet of Jesus and leaving it there. Does anybody else have control issues other than me? 
Let me say that again. Does anybody else have control issues other than me? Turn to your neighbor and say, yes, you do. Don't lie. You're in the presence of God. We all have control issues. Who of us doesn't like to sit in the driver's seat? I don't like to be a participant. I like to dictate and determine where we're going, how we go, how fast we go, and when we go. Come on. And I bring that control mechanism in my relationship with God. You do too. I can control it. I can manage it. I can work it. I can work it out. I've got a mind, don't I? I mean, I've got a doctorate, man. I'm smart. Well, a little bit of time and about $50,000, and you can have one too. Because trust me, they don't give doctorates to geniuses, or I wouldn't have one. A doctorate is like the, 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 the tail on the rear end of a pig. You know what that is? It doesn't look good, it doesn't do nothing, it's just there. That's it. That's what, that's what all that means. Uh, the degree of your education and the amount of your education doesn't really mean much. Nor does your experience or your intellect or your understanding. And some of us think we're a lot smarter than God, and we're not. And we like to think that we're in control, and we control the, can control the outcome. But we must come when we, when we come to, the, to, to prayer, and we bow our head and bend our knee and lay our burden, our petition at his feet on the person and, and the circumstance, situation that we're praying for. We have got to release control. I know what I'm talking about. I have a wayward child in my family right now, and I can't tell you how many times I've tried to control the circumstance. And I finally released it. And it's not, not, not easy. It's been hard. It's hard letting God have control because it's in my nature as dad to protect and to guard and to provide and to shield. I've done that all her life. She's not mine. She's his. You're his. All you have is his, and they are his. And only as we lay that burden at his feet can he and will he. I know his timing is not your timing, and his ways are not your ways. There are scriptures about that, aren't there? Your ways are not his ways, right? They're not. I don't care how spiritual you think you are, they're not. Come down a little bit. See yourself in the perspective of a, an all-sovereign, all-eternal, all-knowing God. Without him, we are useless, <laughs> weak, ignorant, incapable, and we must come to terms with that. I'm not saying we can't be responsible and be empowered by the Spirit and led by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit and that he uses us but he provides and he uses and he guides and he empowers. It's all about him and all unto him. And it's nothing about who we are or who we think we are at any time of the day for any circumstance and for any reason. 
rest in his divine intervention. Number five, recognize the urgency. Recognize the urgency. Notice he says, and supplication. Now is the time to pray. When we are led by the Spirit, he initiates, this is the time to pray, and he instructs us how to pray. That time to pray is now. It's now. We like to put it off to a more convenient time, don't we? And what happens is that, that later becomes the next day, and the next day becomes the next week, and the next week becomes the next month, and the next month becomes the next year. And before you know it, we're looking at the review mirror, and where did time go? I needed to be praying about that, and I did not do that. Oops. And we have failed to join God. That word supplication means two words. It means sincere. I think our supplication does need to be sincere. The urgency of that supplication needs to be motivated by sincerity. The Apostle Paul is constantly talking about this authenticity, isn't he? To be authentically compassionate about the circumstance, the situation, the lostness, the person that we're praying about. To be moved and to be motivated by this caring, compassionate burden that's deep within our hearts. We're sincerely burdened about it. And we take this burden seriously. And so we take it to God with urgency. There's a seriousness about prayer. Prayer is not just some, some individual, you know, I like it. We're talking to the man upstairs. Don't, don't ever say that to me. Prayer's like talking to the big guy upstairs. That's not serious to me, is it to you? He's not some big guy up, 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 upstairs. He is a sovereign God who reigns and who rules with power and with might. He is to be feared and respected as a holy, righteous God. And when we bow our head and bend our knee in prayer and lay our burdens at his feet, asking him to intervene on behalf of this circumstance or situation, prayer is a serious thing. And it's never to be treated lightly because it's spiritual warfare. I can't imagine one of our soldiers going into Afghanistan right now, loaded to the hilt with an arsenal that we provided him, and walking into a, um, a camp of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Terrorist, uh, Islamic terrorists, going, ha, 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 let's, let's play some games. You know, what, what, what do you think would happen to him? He'd be shot dead. And it's for that reason, he says, that not only is it urgent, it's vigilant. He said, as we recognize the urgency with seriousness and with sincerity, we must remain vigilant. He says, and supplication, notice in the next part of verse 18, to that end, keep alert. To that end, keep alert. I think it's interesting, and it, it sort, of, sort of confused me a little bit. He says, to that end, keep alert. I know what the keep alert part, but what does it mean to that end? That to that end helps us understand there's a direction to which we are praying, and that direction to which we are praying, some of the scholars seem to agree that to the end that we're praying is for the promise of Christ and his return. We are praying until that end. When, when, when Christ returns, one of these days, have I said many, many times, the trumpet of God is going to blow, and the dead in Christ will rise, and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and we will forever there, and the end will come. What a great day. And that helps me understand and realize that I'm going to pray until the, till the end comes, till the promise is a reality, till Jesus does return. But there's also an aspect here that we are to pray to the end, and as I thought about that, to the end of what? 
When we pray, what is the end of our prayer? As we're praying for something, we're looking for what? We're looking for an end. We're looking for an answer to the prayer. So we are to pray until the end, until the answer comes of that prayer. Because prayer starts with the end in mind, doesn't it? We are praying, already seeing, already believing, already hoping that what we're praying for has an ultimate outcome. There is a beginning of prayer that says, Lord, we are praying for this. It's not a reality now, but it will become this. And so we're praying to that end. And as we're praying for the promise, and as we are praying to that end until he answers our prayer, notice he said we are to be vigilant. Why is that? Because the prayers aren't always answered in our time frame. Some of you have been praying for family members for a long, 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 should I add another long time, and they, they have not come to faith in Christ. And he says, pray to that end, to pray, and as you pray, keep alert. There's a posture, there's a discipline in prayer in which we are to pray until the answer comes. If Prayer has been initiated by the Spirit, and He has instructed you how to pray. We are then to pray until the answer comes. Somebody said, well, how long do we pray about the filling of this auditorium? How long do we pray? Somebody help me out. How long do we pray? Until God answers the prayer. You've, you've adopted five seats. Pray until the answer comes. When will it come? I don't know. I've been here nine and a half years waiting for that. This building is only 11, what, 11 years old? It's not been filled since we moved into it. The only time we've ever seen a building filled is when it's been an old building. and we've been on, I've told you this, we built a new one and the attendance dropped. <laughs> we didn't have 3,000 people in attendance when we built this building. I don't care how many times we counted you. We didn't have 3,000. Some of us, you know, we counted toes. We didn't count noses. You know, you were counted 10 times. And we can still do that and say we got 3,000 weekly in attendance here. But that means we're counting some of you eight or nine times. That's not 3,000 different people. And right now we only count what we have in house. We don't count those outside of our house. That's a trick that pastors sometimes do when they want to brag about how many people weekly come to their church. There are not too many pastors that, that vote out in six months 900 people because I can no longer say we have a church that 6,000 members. <laughs> Holy moly. We must pray and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whomever he may devour. We are not to be apathetic. We're not to be indifferent. We are not to be sleeping on the task. We are to be vigilant, aware, discerning, watchful, and on the offensive. And if we're not careful, we will wind up sleeping on our post as we are called to stand at alert. What happens to a soldier that's been put on a post and falls asleep at that post? What happens, soldiers? Is it treason? Yeah. Serious consequences. And I think that some of us probably are asleep at our post rather than watchful, alert, vigilant. Number seven, reflect persistence. 
We need to reflect persistently. Resolve to pray, reserve the time, rely on the Spirit, rest in divine intermission, recognize the urgency, remain vigilant, and reflect persistence. Notice it says, with all perseverance. We've already sort of talked about that. That word means steadfastness. It means determination, devotion, discipline, unrelenting, unremitting passion and devotion toward the task until the task is ultimately complete. It's easy to start something. It's hard to finish it. Right, Mike? It's easy to start a house. The hard thing is finishing a house. It's easy to start praying. It's hard to continue to pray for that which God has put upon your heart as a burden and to pray until God answers that prayer, no matter how long it takes. Persistence. He's saying here, never stop praying. Never stop. Make it a priority continually, constantly. Never stop praying. Your prayer may be delayed. The answer may not come soon. It appears that maybe the circumstances have changed and and maybe things have gotten worse instead of better, but you don't stop believing, you don't stop hoping, and you don't stop praying. You pray. No matter what your eyes see or your heart believes or your mind thinks, you pray because we know that God, who is sovereign on his throne, will intervene in his time, in his way, and he will answer our prayer. And not until then. Number eight, raise the objective. Why are we praying? Why are we praying? For all the saints. He says that we are to notice the text. Making supplication, we've already dealt with the word supplication, for all the saints. For all the saints. Some of us are not going to like this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not going to like this. Come on. You're not going to like this. You're not. The objective is not you. Whoa! You're not the objective of your prayers. Now, I'm not saying don't pray about things that matter or are concerned of you, but you're not the object of your praying. He's saying that we are to pray for others, not ourselves, and our prayers need to be more sacrificial. We spend more time praying about our needs than the needs of others. How long and how many times did we pray about the lostness in our family, our church, and in our community? A tenth of the time, if you're lucky. Because our prayers are so self-driven and self-centered, aren't they? Aren't they? We, when we pray, we don't close our eyes. We get a mirror and we take a look at that mirror and look at ourselves and start praying about all the things that we see that are wrong and, and need changing. And then we wonder why we're not seeing a move of the Spirit of God. And of all the civilizations and all the cultures of any time in history, Americans are the most absorbed people and the most absorbed nation than any nation I have ever seen. I've lived in other countries. And the world it does not revolve around us. But not only is it sacrificial, but it's strategic. We're praying for the good of others. What is 
for the good of others. Their salvation. Their good is the answer to our prayer. God, I am praying for their good, for their salvation, for your blessing on their life. We, we need to learn to focus off of ourselves and pray for the good of others. But we also need to pray for the glory of God. Because too many times, I think, that we as a church have prayed for our glory, the glory of Emmanuel, rather than the glory of God. I don't want to sit at the head of any table. I don't want any recognition. I don't want to write a book. I don't want to do any of those kind of things. I just want to see the auditorium filled for the glory of God. And we've already laughed about this as pastoral staff. If, they, if God does, well, let me say this. When God answers our prayer, when God answers our prayer, I, I don't believe this is an accident. One more time. I don't believe this is an accident. We built a $9.5 million building, and we owe $1.2 million on it right now. Thank, thank God for his faithfulness through you, his people, that have helped us bring down this debt to $1.2 million, $4.4 you know, million when I came nine and a half years ago, in six, a, little, about, a little over six years. This is not an accident. I think God wants this auditorium here for a purpose. This is not to be turned into some sort of theater or some sort of who knows what. Be sold for pennies on the dollar. That's already been recommended by me when I came nine and a half years ago. Let's relocate. Let's sell the building to someone else so they can make better use of it. And let's go to the Burbs. When all the other churches are moving to the Burbs, I said, no, no, we need to stay here. Now the Burbs are coming back to the city. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And coming back into the city. We've had more church plants in the inner city since I've been here than probably we've had in 20 years. And now the original church, the original pastor, Joe Wright, who left the church, who left to go to the Burbs, is now back in the inner city. I don't know if you've read it or not. He's, he's, got, he's gone back to his original building, I think. Yeah. And we've been here the whole time, 110 years right here. 100 and, no, 108? Something like that, over 100 years. but it's for the glory of God. So that when they say, hey, Basel, will you write a book? I write a book. It'll be one page, one sentence, done by God, for God, because of God, and his glory. That's it. For the glory of God. But I know one thing. Until we pray, it won't happen. An old, old, old story. And what's cool about this is there's a whole generation of people that have not heard these old stories. So to you, they'll be new. And some of you who have been in church for 40, 50, 60 years like I have. Well, I haven't been in church 50 years. I've been pastoring 38, going on 39 in February of next year. But there's an old story about a church that was having some issues with their electrical outlets and Electricity and the power was not on because of some storm that had happened on Saturday night. And we who are in Emmanuel, we know about those kind of things, right, Kip? Complications on Saturday that reflect on Sunday, and so there was no power in the church. And the service was about to start, and they knew that all their electronic equipment would not come on without power. And so they were frantically trying to get it all done. Finally, it was time for the service, and 
the organist was sitting at her organ. This is one of those traditional churches waiting for the power. Obviously, the organ couldn't be played without that. And the pastor stepped up to the pulpit to make a comment, and somebody handed him a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, it simply said, after the prayer, the power will be on. After the prayer, the power will be on. Maybe you lack power in your life, believer. <laughs> You're not praying. You'll be a defeated, wounded warrior on the battlefield of faith without prayer. You need to be a praying soldier. For you are on a battlefield, armed with an arsenal of spiritual weaponry that is at your disposition, but without prayer, you are useless and defenseless to your commander-in-chief. We must pray. It's not an option. Maybe the reason why you're not seeing the victory that you want to have in your life is because you're not praying. Most of us who are men have a hard time with the issue of prayer. We need to get over that. But we must become men of prayer. Some of us who are women would say, I pray a lot, but what do you pray for? And what is the object of your prayers? Primarily focused on yourself or for the greater need of the kingdom and for the lostness? of an unredeemed world because prayer engages with God in the battlefield of faith and we must pray there are some of us here this morning I am convinced who cannot pray will not pray and the reason why is because we're not connected to the one that we're praying to it's kind of like talking to a complete stranger you know why because we've never put our faith and trust in Jesus and until you put your faith and trust in Jesus you cannot have access to God on the throne. It's only found through faith in Jesus can we have access to the Father, a sovereign God, and all of his provisions. So if you don't know Christ today, and he's a stranger to you, I invite you to place your faith and trust in him as Savior and Lord of your life. Over to my right, to your left, there's a next steps area. And inside of your, the back of your, of your, uh, in here, there's a next step card. I believe I've got one here. If you'll take one of these and fill it out and meet one of our pastors over here, they'd love to pray with you and talk to you about your decision today. You're not connected to God the Father because you have not placed your faith in Christ His Son. We invite you to come. Can I tell this, Kristen? Yeah? Got a call Thursday night. I have a special relationship with three young women in our church. Um, Debbie Hunt is a wonderful lady, but uh, when I came nine and a half years ago, there were three beautiful daughters who have grown up for quite some time without their dad. Their dad died when they were young. And, and um, so I, I just, you know, I'm kind of old enough to be your dad, right? Uh, he's a lot better looking than I am, but other than that... Um, and so we've had this special relationship with these three girls. And Kristen called on Thursday night and wanted to come by our house. She had something she wanted to tell us.
and it was hard for her. And she said, you know, all these years I've been faking it. I've never placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I was baptized when I was a child, but it wasn't real. And I prayed last night to receive Jesus as my Savior and make him the Lord of my life. You know what? It took a lot of courage to do that. But, um, but I'm convinced there are more of us in this room like her. We claim it, we try to live it, but we're powerless, indifferent and ineffective, never truly transformed by the power of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, the repentance and redemption. She couldn't sleep for weeks until finally she made peace with God. And I hope today is the day that you make peace with God. And I'm praying that until you do, you're miserable. And when we're around you and you're miserable, we'll know why you're miserable. Until you finally get peaceful with God. So in a minute as we stand and with these cards in your hand, I want to ask you to step to your left or my right and make whatever decision God's Spirit has placed upon you. Your prayer.